This hangout is live. So, hello everyone and happy Friday. Today is January 23rd and this is episode 9 of our Google Hangouts and podcasts on all things Doxis. I'm Brady Volp, founder of the Volp Firm and Nimble This. With me is the sage of Doxis, the suppliant of CMTSs and spiritual advisor to RF signals all over the world. Ladies and gentlemen, the one and only John Downey, consulting network engineer at Cisco Systems. Hi, John. Hey, I don't know how to follow that up. <laughs> I don't know how to respond to that. <laughs> Thanks, Brady. <laughs> Absolutely. So, so, folks, today we're going to be talking about uh, DOCSIS of all topics, but we're going to be talking about cable modems and some of the cool features built into them. Specifically, we're going to look at the, the newer generation of DOCSIS 3 cable modems, and they have some, some things that allow them to function like spectrum analyzers, uh, they also have some FTP capabilities, reduced power consumption capabilities, and also extended transmit capabilities. So we're going we're gonna to cover some of those topics. I think some, John has some other things that he wants to cover as we talk about that. So, you know, so for relatively low-cost devices, the, the cable modems I'm talking about, they're functioning more and more like high-cost test equipment. And that's pretty exciting because we look at all the cable modems that we're putting into subscribers' homes, and if you you know when we talk about full band capture or the spectrum analyzer capabilities that we have, we have a DOCSIS 3 cable modem that's sitting in a subscriber's home, and that's conceptually like having a virtual technician with a spectrum analyzer that we can just reach out and look at all the downstream signals going into that subscriber's home 24/7. So that gives us some really powerful functionalities that are I think really kind of cool. John, I don't know what your opinion on that is. You know, I, I, we used to have, we still do, Cisco has something called CBT, Cisco Broadband Troubleshooter, which was a way to look at upstream spectrum analysis in the head end, which was not too difficult because everything is funneling back on the upstream. So one spectrum analyzing upstream is a great way to see, you know, all the traffic funneling back. But I always said, how do we do downstream? You know, how can we monitor? And, and some people back in the day were doing spectrum analysis, um, uh, monitoring devices, maybe end of line in a line extender or a standalone type of housing that was mounted. Um, uh, what was the name of that company besides uh, Cheetah? Uh, they had ClearPath or something like that. I don't know if you remember. Yeah, there's been a couple companies that uh, have that capability or that, that have, have tried it, have tried to do yeah. it in the end and put like monitors on the plant, uh, end of line monitors. The challenge has always been when you put something that's an active device on the cable plant, it's another point of failure. So that's, exactly. that's always a big risk for the cable operator. They don't want additional points of failure on their on their HFC network. And you gotta power it up, you gotta connect it, you now have another variable, you, it costs a lot of money, um, truck roll to put it out there, how many do you put out there? I mean, now with, you know, the type of uh, silicon we have out in the field and how cheap and small and um, I guess from Moore's law, you know, it's getting faster and cheaper. We are able to put a spectrum analyzer in the end device for a very low cost. So, I mean, it's pretty amazing to me that we could utilize and exploit these new uh, DOCSIS devices as endpoints for test points. Um, as far as, you know, as far as going to downstream spectrum analysis at different endpoints, uh, remote speed tests because built-in FTP servers now. Some people don't know about that as well. Um, uh, extended upstream transmit power for upstream bonding purposes. 
uh, as you talked about, pre-equalization and proactive network maintenance where we can monitor the modems pre-queue taps to see uh, potential problems and cluster these things into groupings according to their pre-queue uh, signature, if you will. Uh, so there's a lot of functionality, I think, in the endpoints now that we need to exploit and be proactive. I mean, it's there. We need to look at it. Right, right. So, I mean, just talking about full band capture, this is something that's in the, the newer DOCSIS 3.0 cable modems. What it gives you the capability to do is look at all the downstream signals coming into the home, and in the silicon chip, as, as like what you're describing, it, it's like having a spectrum analyzer. And I, I showed you what was on my desktop uh, a little while ago, and, uh, and rather than sharing that with the viewers, I'll, I'll, I'll show you what's going on. It, basically, we, we query the modem using SNMP, and we can pull using the, the MIBs that are in the, in the chipset. We can pull all that data, and like what I have running on my, my iPad right now uh, is that web application, so you can see all the spectrum from you know, the low frequency, 90 megahertz, up to a gigahertz of the cable plant. Uh, so this is like what would be running in the subscriber's home. So you know, if, if, you're watching, if you're listening to this on iTunes, you can't see what's on my iPad right now. Uh, but but so but what we're showing uh, you know for the people that are just listening to this is all the RF signals the QAM signals from 90 megahertz to a gigahertz coming back from a cable modem that's sitting in the subscriber's house and you can see whether or not those signals are tilted there's some suckouts in there you can see all those types of impairments that would be you know like a technician going into the subscriber's home with a meter or a spectrum analyzer or whatever and uh, very quickly you can see what type of impairments are there so that's that's just an amazing feature to have inside of a cable modem and it's tremendously powerful if you have a lot of DOCSIS 3 cable modems you can quickly know whether or not you have an endemic problem that maybe there's an RF amplifier or coax cable with a suck out or maybe it's just impacting one subscriber's home so you can pretty quickly determine you know do I send a technician to a single home or do I send a technician to an RF amplifier that's impacting uh, 100 homes and make those decisions pretty quickly. So, so you mentioned, uh, I caught a few things that you said, let me quantify that. You said QAM signals. It doesn't have to be QAM signals. It's all RF. Uh, that is a spectrum analyzer. And I think you said 90 megahertz. I don't know if these will go down further. I thought they would go to 54, 54 to 1 gigahertz. It, de um, it depends on the chipset. The, the modem that I had up right now stops at 90. So I, okay. I, I actually haven't uh, researched all the different chipsets, but this particular chipset stops at 90, and it, it's based on the vendor. Okay. So, but it can read all RF signals. So you could see analog channels, video channels, video QAM channels, DOCSIS QAM channels, long-term evolution from your 4G cell phone. Um, it could see off-air broadcast signals that are OFDM, uh, or actually off-air is... 8 VSB, right? The Steagle sideband. Yeah. Um, so you can see all signals, not just the Broadcom or the whatever chipset is in the modem, whatever it's decoding. You can see all signals. So just to let everyone know, it really truly is like a spectrum analyzer. Yeah, and other things you can see is you can also see like if there's ripple going across uh, all of your channels when, when you see that. So, you, you know, a lot of times we'll look for ripple across our channels. So now you're kind of using it as a as a sweep, a sweepless sweep analyzer, exactly. <laughs> and, and now, you know, when you see that ripple, now you can start counting the spacing between consecutive ripples and start estimating, okay, what's the distance to my impairment? What's the, what is that echo cavity? So now it becomes very powerful from that standpoint as well. You know, if you think about it, I don't know if we've gone this route yet, and I know Ron Hranick's working with a working group at Cable Labs, uh, how to 
you know, utilize some of this uh, information. But if we wanted to do, I mean, most spectrum now is fully loaded. The downstream is practically fully loaded. And if that's the case, there's no real point to inject sweep points when you just look at the channels. So what about grabbing your downstream signal at the head end and then normalizing? You're basically doing a comparison, right? And that really is a sweepless sweep. That that's exactly how signals. sweepless. Yep, that's exactly how sweepless sweep works. You you measure your signal at the head end, and and you you normalize it, and then you measure what you have, say, at the subscriber's home, which you can do with a cable modem, and and you do a subtraction of the two signals and say, well, you know, where's my impairment lie, in between the two. So it, it's so exciting using this technology. Yeah, I mean, the more we start deploying, the more endpoints we have the more downstream sweep, uh, potentially upstream as well, right? We're talking about if we eventually go 5 to 85 megahertz on the upstream on some of these modems, and maybe even if we aren't using all that spectrum, the modem itself could be queried and told to inject a carrier across the whole spectrum. Almost like saying, let's do an upstream sweep from customer A's house back to the head end by sweeping its own signal, <laughs> having that modem inject a carrier, or it could be a qualm, could be a CW, noise-like from 5 to 85 megahertz, and I basically get an upstream sweep from that customer's home all the way back to the head end. Yes. Yeah, and, and so, I mean, a lot of cable operators out there already have these DOCSIS 3 modems deployed and running DOCSIS 3 DOCSIS 3 CMTSs. One important p point I want to make is I've, I've worked with some clients that still have DOCSIS 2.0 CMTSs and they're thinking, well, I, I have to upgrade my, my, doc, my CMTS to DOCSIS 3 before I can use and take advantage of this DOCSIS 3 cable modem technology. You can still use DOCSIS 3 cable modems with a DOCSIS 2 CMTS and take advantage of this full band capture technology. So please be aware of that, that DOCSIS 3 cable modems with this full band capture spectrum analyzer technology works even with the DOCSIS 2.0 CMTS. Uh, it's just a matter of buying the new cable modem and make sure it, make sure it has the latest firmware so that you can take advantage of this really cool technology. Yeah, so, so basically you're saying like the modem doesn't have to be in wideband mode or doesn't have to be doing DOCSIS 3.0 bonding. It could be just regular online mode in DOCSIS 2.0 mode, but the spectrum analyzer capability is still there. That's just right. Like pre, just like pre-EQ is still there. That's right. Yeah, so yeah. The the pre EQ, the full band capture, all the functionality works in a DOCSIS three cable modems as long as it's in a, a, a two O mode, uh, you know, or uh, in, in a in basically the what we call a DOCSIS one one quality of service mode. If you're giving it a a DOCSIS one one config file, which enables the advanced functionality in the cable modem, and uh, it also has to be in either ATDMA or TDMA slash ATDMA mode. So, so you just showed a display of um, the full bandwidth capture FBC uh, on your iPad, and that will work with uh, Galaxy or an Android type of device as well. Yeah, this it's just a web-based client, so it's gonna it's gonna run. I mean, I I have I have it. Uh, I pulled it up on my iPhone before. It'll run on anything that's running a web browser. Yeah, and, and the browser you usually use is uh, uh, Firefox or... Uh, Chrome, Safari, Firefox, it doesn't matter. Okay, very good. I, I you know, I do see this as being a, a great advantage, but a lot of people are still putting out fires, you know, trying to get things implemented, DOCSIS 3.0, upstream, downstream bonding, load balancing, and these types of things that could prevent fires people put to the wayside and say, oh, I'll get to it later, uh, because this truly is preventive maintenance stuff. 
right? I consider this PM stuff. Uh, Pre-Q, uh, pre-equalization helps mask group delay and microreflection problems in the upstream. Well, if it's masking it, a lot of people say, oh, there's no fire. There's no customer calling me, so I don't have to worry about it. But if we are pre, uh, you know, do preventive maintenance and, and proactive, we would actually monitor the, the end devices for downstream spectrum, upstream pre-EQ, and we could track down potential issues that might get worse. Right. You know, I, yeah, I mean, one of the things we try, to, we try to say is you can be proactive at the same time that you're doing your regular maintenance or even being reactive. So if you're doing an installation or if you're doing maintenance in a certain area uh, and you have this technology, why not look at the full downstream spectrum? Why not look at the, the P&M attributes that you have while you're doing that installation or you're doing maintenance in the area because you might see something like you have too much negative tilt or you have a suck out in the area because you're, you're already there. You're already in the area and looking at the spectrum analyzer so you know of the cable modem. So you have the ability to say, hey, you know, I'm here, let's look at the modem, let's look at the full band capture and see do I have any suck outs because while I'm here I might as well fix those other things. So I'm being proactive while I'm you know, maybe being reactive in an area and putting out a fire so I can kill two birds with one stone. Yeah, the, the, I, I wrote down a list of other things I thought the CPE uh, would provide or could provide and people might not know about it or they do. Uh, one of the other things I, I've been working on or trying to keep up with is there's a new uh, Cable Labs uh, ECR, I guess you could say, for an energy management mode. It's called one by one energy management. So if I'm doing an eight downstream bonding, four upstream bonding, so it's an eight by four mode, maybe I'm doing 24 by four, you know, 24 downstream bonding. When the modem goes into battery mode, do I really want the chipset <laughs> to do 24 channel bonding and eat up more of my battery? Uh, so there's this uh, implementation that we're trying to, trying to go forward with where the modem goes into one-by-one -one mode, kind of like let's go to minimum connectivity so we know we're going to have voice calls capability for the longest amount of time. So I don't know if you've heard about that as well, the one-by-one -one ener energy management mode. Yeah, so I mean not – I think this is a really good thing for battery mode, but I, I also think this is something that we can look at for general modes when the cable modem is not being used by the subscriber. So if we look at how the general consumer <laughs> pardon me. It wasn't it wasn't me, Colin. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> if we look at how the general consumer is is be, becoming more and more concerned about energy usage in houses. Um, you know, they're, they're, we're, we're getting CFL bulbs, we're getting LED bulbs, we're trying to really be concerned about reducing power usage. The power usage of cable modems is increasing, increasing more and more over time. So, you know, it, it may not be long before, and we're seeing cable modems that are using 12, 16 watts of power when they're in, in full mode. There may be a point where that power usage of the cable modem starts to be something that the consumer starts complaining about. And we, we may want to have, uh, you know, even to extend that to say, not just when the cable modem's in battery mode, but also when the cable modem is just not, it, it doesn't need to be operating. It's just in the sleep mode because the consumer isn't watching Netflix. They're not downloading massive amounts of traffic. And the consumer says, hey, you're continuously drawing, you know, 20 watts, 25 watts of power because we're we're using 
a lot of bandwidth for these home gateways and stuff. And so they want to know, you know, why is it always drawing that much power? Because their light bulbs are, you know, they're trying to buy light bulbs that are only drawing two watts of power as LED light bulbs. And they're going around monitoring power usage. And, you know, we see people that are really, really concerned about how much power every device in their house is using. They're buying de devices to go around and monitor what's drawing power all the time and shutting these things off and, and we do know in some countries people power off their cable modems all the time when they're not using them. So why are they powering them off? Because they're using power. So, so you bring up a good point and I thought about that was some customers might just power off but what if I go on vacation and I have home security that's using that cable modem so I'm not going to power it off but I don't need all the speed capable of 24 channel bonding. Maybe I only need one downstream. Right. You just need uh -huh. enough for the voice line to be able to get dial tone out when the alarm goes off or to be and on for station maintenance. It might be I have uh, cameras in my house. Yeah. It might be I have webcams and I want to monitor my house later, you know, a, a teddy, teddy cam, yeah. <laughs> a you, you cam, need, whatever. You, you don't need 300 megabits per second. You, you just need a few megabits per second, and that, that low power mode would be perfect for that. And, and how, many, how many times do you leave your house uh, and you set your DVR. So you want your DVR to actually record stuff while you're away. You don't want your cable modem going down because it's not going to record anything for you because there's no connectivity. Yeah. So, so there might be you know, something like that. So I think this becomes a selling feature for, for, for some vendors of cable modems to say we have this one-by-one one low power mode and people will buy it because of that because they know, you know when I watch Netflix it's going to draw 16 watts of power, whatever that power is going to be. But as you say, when I go on vacation, it's going to drop down to one watt of power, whatever the, the low power mode is. And, and I think that that is something that it will be looking at in the future, and it's going to be a great selling feature. And it's, a, it's in our best interest as cable companies to keep every device online because oh, yeah. of everything we just talked about, the endpoints of troubleshooting. Well, yeah, if it's online and we have some sort of network impairment, we'd like all those cable modems that have full band capture capability, that has pre-equalizer P&M capability. We really want them to be online so that we can do our proactive network maintenance or even reactive network maintenance, SNMP polling. If they're offline, then we're, those portions of the plant are invisible to us. So really, yes, absolutely. We want them online, but we want them in low power mode so our consumers, our subscribers are not turning them off because they're drawing too much. They're drawing 16, 20 watts of power, and they're saying that's too much power. Yeah, and, and we're just talking about cable mode and what if it's a wireless, you know, Wi-Fi hotspot, uh, Wi-Fi. Um, it, it probably has even more power to offer the wireless. Well, in, in the areas that we have um, cable operators that are doing the open Wi-Fi, and they're providing open wireless to areas of, of you know, cities and stuff, that becomes even more of a reason that we want the, the cable modem on but drawing less power, uh, especially at night where people aren't using the open Wi-Fi. We want the subscribers to keep it on. But, but that power is actually from the cable company, so the end users don't really care. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> Good point. So, you know, the other thing I was thinking about is, you know, do people realize what modems are on the market? You know, we started with a, well, really we started with, I call it a 2OB, 2O plus, whatever you want to call it, with 3 by one modem. was never fully DOCSIS 3O capable because it was only three downstream bonding and not no upstream bonding. 
and, and that was like the DPC 2505, and there was a few of them out there before 3.0 became finalized. Then the first 3.0 modems came out were 4x4, four, four, four downstream, four upstream. Then we went 8x4. Now I'm seeing a 16x4, a 24x8, and then there's a 32x8 that's been kicked around, but now that I see DOCSIS 3.1 is kind of getting a push, I wonder if people will just bypass the 32x8 altogether. Now, the whole reason why I see those numbers jumping like that was people want to offer one gigabit per second on the downstream. If you follow our rules of thumb, it used to be make sure that your aggregate speed was twice as big as you're offering. So if I want to offer one gigabit per second downstream, that pipe should be two gig. And 24 downstream of Annex B, 6 megahertz wide, 256 qualm signals, uh, that gets you maybe eight, 860 megabits per second when you take all the overhead off. Right, 860. Yeah. So maybe I can offer 400 or 500 meg service, maybe. Uh, with 32 downstream, it's about 1.2 gig. Well, I don't want to offer a 1 gig service from a 1.2 gigabit per second aggregate pipe. So I foresee some people just bypassing potentially the 32 channel altogether, waiting for DOCSIS 3.1 CPE. Uh, I know Comcast was looking at this as well in offering potentially, if they uh, upgrade their cable plant to 1 gigahertz, maybe above 860, where DOCSIS 2.0 modems can't listen anyway. They don't tune anything above 855 megahertz center frequency. Um, maybe at 861 and above in that frequency range, do DOCSIS 3.1 OFDM, maybe 192 megahertz of bandwidth of all these subcarriers. That's You do the math based on 1024 qualm modulation, and then you add in 24 channels of DOCSIS 3.0 below 860, you end up with over 2 gigabit per second of aggregate pipe. Because the 3.1 modems will be able to bond between 3.0 and 3.1 spectrum. They should be backwards compatible and bond between the two. And if that's the case, I might be able to cherry pick the customers that really want 1 gig service with a 3.1 endpoint. So I have all the capabilities of the 3.0 modem we just talked about, downstream spectrum analysis, but I now offer 1 gig service. So I just wanted to bring up, like, what are the modems in the field? What are they capable of today? Um, even a 24 downstream modem that might have a 1 gig port on it, even if I, let's say, 32 downstream modem, the 1 gig port will never do 1 gig because the Ethernet uh, is probably going to give you about 960. Yeah, you get 80%. Uh, yeah. <laughs> best case scenario out of that gigabit port on the on the on the back. What I'm saying people would do is if they do offer one gig from a 32 by 8 modem, they're doing multiple ports from the modem. Maybe 600 meg to one PC and 600 meg to another PC. There's 1.2 gig. Yeah. If yeah. they wanted to show that. So I did, I kind of wanted to just you know bring that up and uh, see what people are thinking you know as far as what offerings they want to have from these 3.0 modems. So, so even at that, if you're doing a gigabit in a downstream, you know, if you follow the 10 to 1 rule, you need at least 100 megabit on the upstream. So, uh, how, how, you know, that's that's a challenge in itself to achieve, right? So you bring up a good point there too, because if I go to 24 downstream or 32 downstream, I'm hoping people go 5 to 85 megahertz, which is part of the 3.0 spec. You don't have to go to 85 megahertz because, but you might need to. If I do go to 85 megahertz, I can do 8-channel upstream bonding. Ironically enough, I ran into one modem that did 8-channel bonding, and it didn't incorporate the Cablelabs ECR of extended uh, upstream power, um, transmit power. And when I went to 8-channel upstream bonding, my max transmit dropped to 48 dBmV. Yeah, so okay. this is an important thing to talk about that extended transmit power and, and make sure that people understand it, because when we bond more channels in the upstream, as you're saying, 
the max transmit power of the cable modem decreases, right? And, and yeah. maybe you can explain that. Every time you double, it drops by 3 dB, max transmit power. So if I do 64 qualm two-channel bonding, the max output is 54 dBmV, which is good because that's the same output power of a 2 modem doing you know, single-channel 64 qualm. When I go four-channel, it drops to 51 dBmV per channel. It's four-channel upstream bonding, all 64 qualm. When I go to eight, it could drop to 48. So if that customer is off of a 23 dB tap, you know, the first tap off of an amplifier, where you always have typically transit problems, uh, going to eight-channel bonding might not work, unless this device, you would hope, this device incorporates more power, you know, incorporates the, the, the Cable Labs ECR, the engineering right. chain request. Yeah, and that, yeah, that ECR is important to get the more power. So, so we do have a question uh, that, that just came in from, from our uh, listeners. It says, um, are, are current deployed CMTSs compatible with DOCSIS 3.1? From the, from the Cisco side, John, do you have any feedback on that? I mean, really, how could they? <laughs> yeah. how, how could an older technology be compatible with a newer technology? It's always backwards compatible. So 3.1 devices will be 3.0, 2.0 capable. But a 3.0 device uh, being compatible with 3.1, we have a new box coming out uh, very soon in a, in a few months. We have it deployed as beta customers right now called uh, the Converged Broadband Router 8, CBR8. Um, and it is designed with the capability of 3.1 upgrade. So yes, some CMTSs or boxes out there might have the capability to be upgraded and offer 3.1 with maybe some module swap outs. But the hardware to support 3.1 OFDMA, OFDM, um, that's not even available yet. It might be available kind of in beta or first rev from, from different silicon vendors, but it's not readily available yet. So uh, we're still waiting for hardware. And same thing for the chipset for the modems, right? The 3.1 modems that can demodulate and decode and decipher all this information that's in a different multiplexing scheme and yeah, higher I modulation schemes. I think it's important for, for people to know that no one is, is right now running any DOCSIS 3.1 systems. I think people are, you know, the, the major operators are just getting ready to start some testing with early pre-deployment betas, but uh, there, there's, there's not any DOCSIS 3.1 systems ready at this time or in production. So, so any other questions? I didn't see any other questions pop no, up. No, that was, a, that was the first one that came up. So another thing I wanted to bring up that's hit me a few times uh, customers complain they do a ping uh, to a DOCSIS 3.0 modem, and when they do a regular ping, they're seeing every 10th or 11th ping drop. And I wanted to bring up that this is actually a Broadcom ping rate limit feature. So they do it on purpose. And there's some SNMP uh, settings to turn that off. So I've had customers do a ping, and they see like every 11th ping drop, and it's very consistent. And they're like, why am I having problems with my ping? I do a ping doxis, everything's fine. Uh, I do traffic, and everything's fine. But I just do a ping, I, IGMP, ICMP. Yeah. <laughs> I just do a ping, and I'm dropping every 11th one. And it's actually a feature in the modem. So there is a way to turn that off. So I just wanted to bring that up if anyone ever happens to see that. Yeah, that's uh, that, that's a good thing to bring up, jo uh, John. <laughs> I called you Joxus. <laughs> but you did you did mention the ping Doxus command, which I, I really want to reinforce to people because I use the ping Doxus command all the time. Uh, and when I use it is I will ping a modem 
and I won't get a response back to the modem. What happens is sometimes cable modems will lock up at the IP layer, and so they'll stop responding. They won't ping. They won't respond to the ping command, and so what then I'll what I will do then is do a ping doxis command, and I'll be a, I'll get a response back when I use the ping doxis and the MAC address of the cable modem, and, and it's, it starts responding. What I find out is the the Broadcom chipset itself is is still online and is still communicating with the CMTS. And John, you can correct me if I'm, I'm wrong here in my te terminology. So the cable modem's locked up at the IP layer, but it's still communicating with the CMTS and the Broadcom chipset. So I'm able to reset the normally able to reset the cable modem doing a clear cable modem MAC address delete command, a reset command, and uh, get the cable modem back online that way. But uh, that ping doxis command is really really helpful. Uh, if you don't know about it, it's nice to use from the CMTS. Yeah, the, the only thing I'd say is be careful because when you do a ping, depending on the, the packet size of the ping, normally a default ping from a CMTS is like 100 bytes, and that could end up being a short burst. Because in your mod profile, you have a short burst, you have a long burst, advanced short, advanced long, station maintenance burst, initial maintenance burst, request burst. So your mod profile has many different burst profiles, IUCs they call them, interval usage codes. The ping doxis actually uses the station maintenance burst, which is IUC number four. That could be totally different modulation than, say, your data burst. So ping versus ping doxis could be two different modulation schemes. So the moral of the story is if the modem's MER, upstream MER, is in that uh, no man's land or that uh, subpar value of, say, 20, let's say 21 dB MER. Well, if I'm doing 16 kilometer QPSK for my station maintenance, 21 dB MER will still work. So ping doxis will still work. But if I do a ping that's using 64 qualm, that's not going to work at a 21 dB MER. So there's right. sometimes a case where ping versus ping doxis is not working because of the actual upstream MER of the modem. Maybe yeah, pre-EQ so is not turned on or something's wrong with pre-EQ or uh, it's just bad MER just for that one modem. Yeah, that's a, so that's a great point. It's actually a, a great way that you can, uh, you know, if you're, if you're looking at S to upstream SNR and maybe you see it's right around maybe the 27, 26 dB point, it's right on a threshold, uh, you could actually see if, and, and your, your uh, station maintenance is 16 qualm, which you, you can't go any higher than 16 qualm for station maintenance. Short, long data grants is at 64 qualm. You could do a quick sanity check to see, you know, uh, uh, is this an RF problem or not an RF problem. So uh, excellent point to make. Yeah. yeah. I, I tell people if you do ping and you can't get a ping response and you do ping doxis, the first thing you think of is it's layer 3 hung. But it might not be layer three hung. It could be a subpar MER. That's why I always troubleshooting layer one first, right? <laughs> layer one of the OSI model. Start the RF layer and work your way up. So make sure the MER is good and, um, and then go from there. Maybe it is layer three hung. I know some devices now have an internal watchdog timeout in the modem itself, kind of like doing a loopback or a ping test to itself. Some of them will... Uh, reset their own device based on this internal watchdog timeout. It's kind of like a, a catch-all. Don't know why the modem's getting into the state. Maybe it's uh, uh, dynamic channel change from load balance. Maybe it's trying to do BPI plus NDCC at the same time and station maintenance at the same time, and it's getting hung. This layer three hung problem's been going on for the 15 years I've been with Cisco. You know, so it's uh, sometimes we have to 
do something to remedy the issue, and we still don't know what really causes the issue. There's so many moving parts here, right? Yeah, and I, I also see it happen less frequently with newer firmware, so, or I see it more frequently with old, older firmware. So it, it seems that you know cable modem operators are, are finding better ways uh, in our newer, if they upgrade the firmware, and also newer cable modems, as you said, are, are starting to put the watchdog timers in. So mm -hmm. it, it seems to be less of a problem if you upgrade firmware, if you buy new cable modems, but the older cable modems, older firmwares, are, do have lockups. So. so any more any more questions? No more, no more questions. <laughs> uh, anything else you want to cover on cable modems? Uh, I think there, there's some interesting things we got there that definitely the new cable modems, newer DOCSIS cable modems have some really cool capabilities and really exciting with what we can do with them from a testing stand, testing measurement standpoint for certain. Yeah, I mean, uh, we talked about, I talked about speed a little bit, like what you would expect. And what about Wi-Fi, right? What if I'm trying to do a speed test through the Wi-Fi through the cable modem? Now the Wi-Fi part also has encryption and, and encapsulation. So now you have over, overhead there. I've had people try to do a speed test through a VPN. Well, when you do a VPN, there's extra, extra overhead there as well. Um, when I do speed tests, I want to do UDP versus TCP. You know, I don't want my downstream speed to be affected by my upstream limitations. Yeah, yeah so there's a lot of things. The connected home is, is sort of the, the, the last or the next generation for proactive network maintenance because we have a lot of devices in the connected home connected to the Wi-Fi device and then we have subscribers that they, and, and I'm, I'm doing an article in, in uh, the next uh, broadband library that talks about this, the subscribers don't care about what speed we can offer their cable modem. They just care about what speed all of their Wi-Fi devices are surfing over the internet. So for cable operators, this becomes a major issue. You know, how do they monitor the, and how do they manage those Wi-Fi devices? So we have to become more proactive inside the connected home. And it's only getting worse and worse and worse. We, we hear so much about the internet of things and all the devices that we're adding into the connected home, which you know is that internet of things. The, the smart home, the, you know, where I say that the, 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 the uh, refrigerator is talking to the toaster and, 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 you know, sort of these crazy devices that we're adding in there, but they're all Wi-Fi connected. And, you know, it starts getting down to even light bulbs being that. So it's going to get it's going to get worse. It's not going to get better for cable operators. So we have to manage that internal infrastructure of wireless devices that are all sucking up data across the cable modem. Yeah, I, I agree, and we have to take it a step further to instead of just worrying about speed and looking at utilization to determine node splits, we need to do quality of experience. So we need to figure out experience of different applications. I still have a theory that when we start doing 24 downstream, 32 downstream bonding, and we're spreading data, maybe it's a, a low speed service flow, maybe one megabit per second, I could easily offer that down one downstream. Why would I want to spread it across 24 downstreams? Now I have to resequence all those packets and frames back together at the CP. Does that create latency? Does that create jitter? Uh, is that going to cause problems with gaming? So I foresee where I might utilize uh, uh, SDN or software type of applications that could give a different quality of service for different applications or maybe pushing low speed applications to a sub bonding group. So if I'm doing 24 downstream, maybe I have six four channel bonding groups in that 24 channel bonding group. 
maybe I can push the application to a four-channel bonding group because it doesn't need to stripe all its traffic across all 24 downstreams and potentially create more latency and jitter. These are the type of things that, you know, as we start striping across more downstreams, are we adding more time delay? Yeah, I think they're all very good points and will add all interesting challenges for us in the future as we come. So, uh, Mr. Suppliant of CMTSs, this has been a, a very good uh, uh, talk and uh, I think we can wrap it up here. So, have a happy Friday. Happy Friday to all our viewers and everyone have a great weekend. So, goodbye, John. All right, take care. All right, thanks, bye. Oh, <laughs> my